Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Samuels uh, from Calgary in Canada. Dr. Samuels is the medical director of the Center for Sleep and Human Performance and uh, among his various research interests one of the areas he has been exploring and working closely are the linkages between sleep on recovery and performance uh, especially in elite canadian uh, athletes all the way up to the olympic level so today we will be talking about uh, what are the really important aspects of sleep separate the noise from the chaff surrounding sleep and focus on the real issues uh, he has developed something called the athlete sleep screening uh, questionnaire his work on that how he developed that how to use it and of course things like fitness watches which claim to analyze sleep and whether they are good or bad and whether you should rely on them and other related topic Uh, I have listened to Dr. Samuels in the past. I have uh, learned a lot uh, from him, and I really hope uh, listeners uh, would be able to gather uh, some insights from him today. So, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Samuels, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Raj. Um, okay, so can we start with a little bit of your background and how sure. did you, in uh, you know, become interested in in these topics over a period of time and your current uh, current involvement at the Center for Sleep and Human Performance? Uh, so over to you, Dr. Samuels. Sure. Yeah, I um, finished medical school in the early 1990s, trained through the uh, late 80s, and I started my career as a uh, rural family. family physician. And so the experience of doing rural family medicine in southern Alberta where it's relatively remote, you're alone and the doctors in these communities have to uh, do e- almost everything on their own, um gave me the experience of being outside the urban hospital where we have lots of support and what not. Sure. And um we were on call pretty continuously and that was about 4 years and um I had some very interesting experiences driving home at night from the hospital one of which um was a late night after a long day and I actually fell asleep in the vehicle oh. and dro- and drove past my house and woke up with the front tires of my vehicle in a lake oh god okay And so um that was quite a shocking experience and I actually was lost and this was in the middle of the night in the fall in a prairie fall where it's pitch dark so you have no reference it took me about an hour to find my way home and then another experience where in the middle of winter I was um called out at 2 in the morning or something like that and I drove uh, the vehicle we lived in the in the country about 15 kilometers from the hospital and I got in my truck not not awake enough and started driving the vehicle and i i rolled it oh, deep God. into a ditch and okay. i was upside down in my vehicle with no one around and i had to call the rescue vehicle and and these these were all related to incidents of being extremely sleep deprived okay and and really seeing what can happen so i moved into the city after this as you can imagine it was a pretty rough life yeah. and um uh, <laughs> I was fascinated by what happened with sleep and of course as physicians we 
go day and night without sleep. And we would, I would go for days without adequate sleep. And it really changes your behavior. Uh, it changes your concentration, your ability to function. And so I was fascinated by this. And I actually came in contact with a sleep specialist who um, got me interested in sleep medicine. And then I started my career in the mid nineties training in sleep medicine. And then I did a fellowship in sleep medicine. So my interest in it came from personal experience of seeing what happens to the brain. Also what seeing, seeing what happens to the body over time, this would have been in my early forties, late thirties. And it really changed me physically. I was a very fit, active individual. And with all of this shift work and my appetite changed my, I gained weight. And this was very, like I was not used to this. And so it was very interesting to realize that an otherwise totally healthy individual could become very unhealthy mentally and physically just from taking sleep away and disturbing sleep. So there was something in this. No one was interested in sleep health in those days. We didn't know its connection to high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease, all of these things and diabetes. So as my career started, I got very interested in sleep research because the quality of the research was remarkable. And um, I started doing work with the Calgary Police Service and then then got asked by the uh, University of Calgary uh, Sports Medicine Clinic because I had colleagues there to help them in early 2000, leading up to the Tour and Olympics with some athletes who they knew the problem was sleep disturbance because these okay. athletes weren't performing. They weren't they weren't able to uh, meet the needs of their training volumes. And it was usually endurance athletes that I would be faced with. So swimmers. Um, cross-country skiers um, and other long track speed skaters. Those were sort of the early sports that I was engaged with. And then once one or two of the teams got a hold of me and I started working with them, it just went like wildfire through all of the teams, the sliding sports. And, and uh, so I've had experience with many different levels of athletes from biathlon to speed skating, short track, long track. And um, my interest is in endurance, high performance sport and ultra running and ultra um, events, for instance. So these are athletes that have to perform at a level where they don't get to sleep because that's the nature of the competition. Absolutely. And so, you know, and so, and then in the end, you know, I'm a physician, so I'm, translating what I learned from doing this work to the general population, which I see every day in the clinic. So I see the average runner. um, I'm dealing with guys in their sixties like me who are training very inappropriately. um, And I am a uh, uh, a heart rate based train. I train with heart rate based training and I have a very, very good coach. And um, so I'm very interested in how to train older athletes Um, that are recreational, because what I see is very poor behaviors. Um, And the biggest one, and and any of the Olympic coaches and trainers will tell you this, one of the most important things is recovery. This is what we've learned in the last 30 years. It's, it's not the training, we've got the training figured out. It's the recovery. So this is where I got involved with the sports scientists over at the University of Calgary. and, And my project began in you know, 2005, 2006 to develop and validate a sleep screening questionnaire for elite athletes. And it took us 15 years to finish that. Okay. So I, I have my second postdoctoral researcher right now, Dr. Shade, who's now validating that questionnaire in student athletes. 
So okay. university, high school, um, we have sports schools here where the kids are junior athletes and they're in a sport training school for hockey and whatnot. And so um, we use that as the base for understanding the prevalence of sleep disturbance that's clinically significant. So it's a problem. Uh, and then we go forward and um, discriminate those athletes out, the ones that need education, because all of these athletes are really needing help with understanding the role of sleep. Because, of course, now we have to deal with technology, right? Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the sort of quick snapshot of my career that leads me now to working mostly in law enforcement and elite athletes um, and translating that information from our research to the general population, shift workers just in general, and then the average athlete, uh, uh, um, recreational athlete. Okay. So uh, a couple of points as follow-up to what you just mentioned, and thank you so much for the for that uh, background and introduction. One is, uh, and I, I probably can guess the answer, but are the findings on elite athletes transferable to recreational everyday uh, you know athletes or everyday population like uh, you know uh, shift uh, shift policemen on duty or shift doctors uh, that's one question second while you were talking about the low you know low heart rate or the training with heart rate you made a comment that many of them have very poor habits uh, yeah. what did you mean by that i mean so two questions as follow up yeah. to this so the first question really is that no, I would say what we learn from elite athletes is very specific to elite athletics. And the reason is their lifestyle is different than the average recreational athlete. And in okay. fact, the average recreational athlete is worse. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Be be yeah, because they have a job and they have families and it's not their job to train. And some of them are trying to train. So in my training group, my coach is trying, you know, working with these guys who are lawyers and saying, you got to go see Chuck, me, because you just don't get it. You can't train at the volume that I do as a professional when you're a lawyer. You're busy and you have, you know, three kids or whatever. So it's actually harder to deal with student athletes, high school or college, university, and the average working athlete, because you know this, the recreational athletes are training at very high levels. Not like yep, when, sure. when I was a kid, you know, I mean, my parents didn't do this stuff. They played tennis on the weekend, you know, but, <laughs> you know, these guys, some of these guys I see, and that's not shift workers. It's even worse than the shift workers. Okay. And my colleagues who are physicians on call, surgeons or emergency physicians um, doing rotating shift work, they're all, you know, they're not all, but the ones who are athletes are actually trying to train at volumes that far exceed what they can do. And then they get into trouble. They get on, they're unwell, they're unhealthy, they're tired, they don't function as well at work. So we can train them, but they have to learn how to do it in a more uh, responsible way. Um, so I would say, no, um, what we do with elite athletes is different for obvious reasons, but what we've learned from elite athletes informs how we manage recreational athletes okay. very much. Okay. Very, very much. Um, and, it, and it informs how we guide them in training and it informs the scheduling of training, the volume and the intensity of training. So I have one full-time clinician dealing with recreational athletes. Okay. 
and he helps them schedule their training, their volumes, their intensities. Um, if, if it's a shift worker and it's coming off night shifts, he teaches them how to train on that schedule versus days, you know, and, and so we have, it's very sophisticated. Uh, so continuing, Dr. Samuels, uh, to the athlete uh, uh, sleep screening questionnaire, which you mm-hmm. you know talked about a bit in terms of development of it. So how is it structured, uh, and uh, you know how can people people uh, people use it? Um, yeah. So the development of the questionnaire, most importantly, was um, it came out of the understanding. It was myself who sort of figured this out that the current. This goes back to the you know late 90s, early 2000s, that the current questionnaires for sleep, which were being used in athlete populations, were completely inadequate because they were for medical and psychiatric populations. So we had to take what existed and adapt it and then test it. And that's what took 13 to 15 years to do, because when you're chasing athletes around the world, it takes a long time to finish a research project. But we did. And we did validate the questionnaire. So it is a valid, reliable questionnaire. We've actually screened 1,000 marathon runners in the London Marathon in 2016. And we're oh, in the okay. pro, pro, and so we're in the process of uh, uh, developing a paper from the results of that. But it takes a long time um, to put these papers together. That's sort of next on our list of projects. But we got a lot of data from 1,000 marathon runners. Um, so... It's a valid way of screening athletes to find the athletes who have a problem and those that need help and those that need education and then those that need a sleep doctor versus their sport medicine physician. So we have it in a way that it gives a score. And so if any of your um, uh, listeners go on to our website, they can just go and fill out the questionnaire and get a response. It's free. Yep. Uh, and then, no, I, I and just want have to done add that. Yeah, I have personally done that. That's what I wanted to just tell the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so they can get a sense of, oh, I have a problem or I don't. And if you have a problem, we're happy to chat with you. Or you can just go to your physician and say, I've done this and I have a problem. And the point being that certainly in our national teams and Olympic teams, we want to find the athletes that have a problem and get them fixed so they can train at an optimal level. With a recreational athlete, it's just good for them to understand that if they have a sleep problem and there can be, you know, many of your people out there that would have, for instance, sleep apnea, they wouldn't even know it. Okay. And um, they could be training and having recurrent injuries and not recovering. They might have insomnia and just accept that they have insomnia and not do anything about it. So the purpose of this is to really educate them, give them some feedback. You would have gotten the letter. Did it come back? Yes, and it's say, yes. Yeah. And so I it gives you, feedback. yeah. And it gives you uh, feedback. And then it can say what you should do or not do and whatnot. And so that's the what, what we have. Now, on our end, we're collecting data for research through that um, system. And then we have a much more sophisticated system for the national teams to get the athletes help. Um, but the purpose of it was to screen athletes and give them an, an, uh, a response. So they okay. had, yeah, some advice. Okay. So basically, go to your website, uh, and uh, I will obviously put the links uh, links to the uh, the questionnaire in my show notes. So any of the mm-hmm. listeners can go there and uh, yeah, uh, and and take it. And it doesn't much take uh, take much time. I should add ten minutes. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so it's it's a very quick process, and then you get a feedback on email as well, so that there is a good record of that, which you can refer back in the future as well. So uh, coming back to recreational uh, athletes and what you have seen. Uh, 
it's 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 you know it's clear that it's it's uh, somewhat prevalent at least if not widely prevalent in terms of sleep issues so can you take us through uh first some of the factors contributing to this uh, uh why people have uh, have this because intuitively one would feel that you know if you have lack of sleep like for example day before yesterday night i didn't sleep well by afternoon yesterday i was very groggy i was having a mild headache and i knew all i needed was to take a nap and my headache will go away so there is there are in most cases there is a physical cue or cues which your body gives you when you mm-hmm. have had sleep deprivation and so why do you know why do people just not change their habits i mean what yeah. what what are the reasons well, this is, so this is important so i'm going to go through all of the basics for you so that when the listeners they can they can leave the show knowing what to look for themselves and it's very straightforward so mm-hmm. but human beings when it comes to human behavior sleep and weight control are two of the most fragile parts of our human physiology okay okay so when they are disturbed human beings don't do what's needed their intuition is not to do what's needed to correct the problem it's a hu- it's just human behavior they're not doing anything wrong they're just not aware of what to do so one is that in order to have normal restful sleep you must know how much you need not how much you can get away with okay but what you need so most people will say oh i can get away with 6 hours a night and i'm fine well that's all well and good but that's not optimal So most human beings your population which would be adults in middle ages would need 7 and a half to 8 hours of sleep a night that's what we would recommend um okay. about 10% of your population have insomnia so they can't sleep they have difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep and as they get older that gets worse in terms of okay. mostly staying asleep so that actually shortens sleep and disturbs sleep So those two factors are really important if you have short you don't get enough or if you have the right amount but it's broken that will disrupt the restorative quality of your sleep and the downstream effect will be next day consequences cognitively behaviorally and physically cognitively memory concentration very straightforward okay. behaviorally irritability very straightforward Okay. or sleepiness. Yeah. So people react to sleep loss in two ways. They either get sleepy or they get irritable because they're trying to stay awake when they're sleepy. Yeah. Okay. And that shows up in their behavior or they can have things like headaches like you mentioned. And you know the medicine when you have a nap, the headache goes away. So yeah. you know. And it's like if you, you know, if you did a long run and didn't hydrate, you know that you could end up with a headache and some muscle cramping. Yeah. Absolutely. and you know the solution electrolytes and fluid it's the same okay. with sleep so it's really important um and it can be very much on just one night of sleep loss up you know like minimum 2 to 4 hours and you can feel these effects then the physical thing that's really important to understand is that when you restrict sleep or you break up sleep you change the appetite in the brain for high and you and it goes towards high calorie dense foods so it affects weight control. So many recreational runners are trying to lose weight and I'm sure you're I would I'm sure you know but your listeners should know like you can't run enough to lose weight. You don't run yeah, or exercise to lose weight. That's completely useless. My favorite line in this is you can't outrun a burger. So 
<laughs> no, it's impossible. So, and that's a good good way to put it. Can I use yeah. that? That's a yeah, great absolutely. Line. Actually, yeah. it's not mine. I, I okay. believe it was uh, it was in one of the studies published in the British Journal of Medicine. The first line that, or the or yeah. the surgeon surgeon the general or the equivalent had written a preface or an introduction, and he he said this. He said you can't yeah. run. So don't read this if you are looking for exercise to compensate to, for poor it, diet. It, it doesn't, you know. And and so when you lose sleep, though, it affects your metabolism and the storage of energy. So one is you. You crave high calorie dense foods. Two is you store the energy. You don't burn it. And so um, these are very important factors for the average individual to understand that really sleep is very important to keep these things stable. And of course, if we didn't have technology, it would just be that people ignored their sleep and didn't pay attention to it. But now with technology, they actually have something to do that gets in the way of them sleeping. Okay. And that's a big issue. Tech, technology is the number one barrier to normal sleep health in the world today. Okay. I can probably guess where you are going with this, and I want to probe you a little more. Mm -hmm. So you are talking of things like screen, you know, yep. close, close to bedtime, which, is, which will have an impact when you try to sleep. Uh, just, uh, you know, take us through a little more or dive a little, little more on how people can you know ch change their behavior or what should they really be doing yeah uh, to, to break this uh, you know the break cycle. This wish, wish is the break the cycle yeah yeah so what you do like if you're let's you know let's focus on recreational people you know not an athlete because we have way more control over athletes than we do on our average runner so i think what's important when you're a recreational runner but you know running competitively and you take it seriously is that, you know, you start by looking at your recovery, not your training, which is the absolute opposite of what everyone does. So, okay. and your recovery needs to be composed of your sleep first. So in other words, you have to get your sleep. That's the foundation of recovery. So you say, you know, I need seven hours, I need eight hours, and that's what I need. So you set that. Then you set your wake-up time and you go backwards. So that's okay. how you set your clock for your what we call a sleep window okay you always it's always set based on wake up time because of course wake up time is determined by school or work or you know obligations and whatnot and then you go backwards and that can be a problem for some who have to wake up really early because the brain doesn't go to bed early yeah you know it's not easy for the brain to fall asleep at eight o'clock at night if you're if your natural rhythm is 11 so you have to take these things into consideration um, and that's how you set your sleep period. And then you do everything else around that. You do your training around. So I have people waking up four in the morning to train. Well, that's ridiculous. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you. There are very few long distance endurance runners who can wake up at four and, you know, run on a daily basis and keep that up for many, many months at a time. It's, it's not, and as, if you're getting eight hours a night of sleep, sure you can, you know. Yeah, which means you are, you have to be in bed or asleep by 8 p.m., which is. It's ridiculous. For most, most people most who have people. a family, yeah, it's quite, 
quite difficult, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I find is that athletes, in order to get their training session in or jamming it in at some point that's ridiculous, waking up way too early. So I have a big issue with that. And I talk to athletes about that all the time, especially recreational athletes, because they're doing this. And um, and they feel the consequences. The moment I take away morning training from someone who comes in to see me with a sleep problem, it's like they're fixed. It's hard for them to give it up. But man, then we start talking about how to train smarter, you okay. know. And so it's always built around, OK, you got to get this amount of sleep and you got to wake up at this time and then you got to go to work or you got to go to school. And, you know, where can we find the time for you to get your, let's say, hour of run in? And it doesn't have to be continuous. You can do two 30-minute blocks, you know. Um, you can do all kinds of variations on um, on running with fart licks and, um, you know, uh, interval training and so many different things you can do to get your volume in. Um, and we do this all the time and have people train. And when you don't have time to train, you can do um, muscle work. Um, you can do functional range conditioning. You can do... Um, uh, other low intensity stuff and then save your high intensity stuff for when you're well rested. Before moving on, I wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show. So please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review like for example CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com and also if you have any comments or suggestions to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast-related updates on Instagram at the handle Running and Fitness with Raj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. Now let's get back to the show. And uh, what are the, I mean, screen is obviously the single biggest issue you have identified. Mm -hmm. Are there any other factors which affect the quality of uh, sleep? Uh, like, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, forwarding or taking uh, this question a little earlier now, mm -hmm. what I had in mind. Things like, for example, caffeine. Uh, like, oh, yeah, uh, I, I, that's what. So, yeah. So can you just talk us through some of the other issues yeah. as, as well? So as soon as you said that immediately, it's nutrition and hydration. And okay. in hydration, it's uh, electrolyte replacement. So these things are critical. Okay. Yeah, because if you're going to bed poorly hydrated, low on electrolytes, you're going to be cramping. You're going to have a crappy sleep. That just makes okay. the problem worse. So these things are really important to have electrolyte replacement. Like I'm drinking, like here where I am, it's extremely dry. So it's a minimum of three to four liters a day, even without training. Okay. You know, and, and I've always, there's always an electrolyte form of replacement. I have three different kinds that depending on what I'm doing, I'll use. Um, and so I'm very attentive to that because of the cramping, you know, and then it disturbs your sleep. Um, so uh, this is really important. So, and then nutrition, you know, eating right um, and scheduling your eating so that it, it fits with your sleep schedule is really important because large meals at the end of the day can totally disrupt sleep. Okay. Um, and, you know, people are doing all kinds of funky diets from full on keto diets to um, uh, the intermittent fasting. And it has to fit in with their training. 
you know, it has to fit. You can't just do everything. Um, and so you got to be careful about what you're doing. Um, so again, cause it always goes back to recovery. Uh, so when you talk about things like caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, they have a huge effect on sleep. So of course we're not talking to a population that smokes, but nicotine is more stimulating to the brain than caffeine and oh, okay. smokers don't know that. They smoke okay. before they go to bed to relax, but the problem is they don't sleep. Okay. It's extremely stimulating. So caffeine, what's important to understand about caffeine, especially in athletes, um, whether you're elite or recreational, caffeine is very helpful, but it needs to be used strategically. Many of these recreational athletes are just drinking co coffee indiscriminately okay. to maintain wakefulness, which is not the way to use it. And caffeine has a potent effect on reducing sleep drive. So that's how it works physiologically. And so the amount and the proximity to bedtime is critical. So, you know, it's important. I have two double espressos in the morning. That's it. Okay. If I'm going to do an exercise session and I'm pretty tired, I might have a double espresso before that. That's it. That's okay. very rare for me because we all know that caffeine can help with exercise performance. Right. But yeah. I would have to be super tired or I've had a really stressful day where I'm just not feeling it, where I might have a coffee before I go and train, you know, my training sessions are no more than an hour. No way. Sunday runs could be two to three hours, but, but nothing during the week that's more than an hour because I'm busy. Um, and I have to save time in the day to do, you know, have dinner and just relax. Um, so these are the ways that I manage these things. Um, alcohol, terrible for sleep, especially in the older recreational athletes. So, you know, I'm, I'm 63. So as you transition into your 50s, guys are, and women are going to notice that alcohol has a very disruptive effect on sleep. Okay. And so um, you need to be cognizant of that. And it might change how, how much you drink, how many nights a week you drink. Um, and again, it affects your training for sure. Okay. You know, okay. um, so those would be the top three. Vaping, really bad. Yeah, it's similar to smoking, I guess. In, in terms Worse. Of the Worse. potency okay. of the nicotine is much higher. Okay. In vaping. Okay. okay. Uh, and I, I know probably this is not applicable to most of the people uh, who are recreational athletes, but where does napping fit into all of this? Is okay. Basic question: Is napping good? Is napping recommended? Uh, if you can get in a twenty-minute nap every day, is that recommended? That's that's where I was going with that. Uh, so, what are your views on napping? Yeah. So again, as you can imagine, as this is talk has uh, discussion has evolved, it's all about scheduling. Napping yeah. is crit napping is as important as your training session. Wow. Okay. So in other words, um, if you need it, get it. And as you said, a 20 minute nap, it's, these are short naps, less than 30 minutes. If you don't need it, then that's fine. In other words, though there are athletes who aren't getting enough sleep. And if they do the math, I always say, how much do you need a night times seven? It's eight hours a night times seven is 53? 56. 56. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do the math. So it's 56 hours a week. Or if it's seven, you know, so 50 to six. I always say 50 to 60 because I can't do the math. Um, 50 to 60 hours a week. 
is the range. And so you got to get that. So if you're only getting 40 and if your listeners start calculating, they're going to be shocked because they're going to be down around the 40 to 45 hours a week of sleep. That's not enough. If you're training, not even close. Okay. So then you interject these strategic naps. So what I do is, um, so my way of doing this, my bedtime is 11, my wake up time is seven. I don't train in the morning. I train at the end of the day. And what I'll do is I'll have my nap before I run. So I come home, I lie down for 20 minutes, close my eyes, rest, feel much better, and then go out for my run. So I'll do that. You can do caffeine with a nap, very effective. So you can drink the caffeine before the nap or after the nap and then do your training. So there's a lot of these things that we interject for the athletes into their training schedule, which is the same for the average worker. You can finish your day of work, close your eyes, rest, then go out for your training session. Um, And you feel a lot better if you just give yourself time. So a lot of this is, you know, people are doing all of this and they're just chronically cranked up and they're not... They're not relaxing, which yeah. really helps training. They're, they are not shifting into a lower gear. They are all yeah. the time at a higher gear. Yeah, they're yeah. very high. Their sympathetic tone is chronically high. Okay. And to improve from an athletic perspective, you have to bring the tone back. You have to learn how to promote a sympathetic tone to bring your body back. And most athletes don't understand that. That's why they don't understand low heart rate training. That's why it drives okay. them nuts like it drove you nuts to go from four minute kilometers to six or seven. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we will, we'll talk about it because coincidentally, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've restarted my training after a few months of lull and I'm, I'm, I'm using the low heart rate method and uh, it's driving me completely. It, totally nuts. it drove me. I've been doing this for seven years this weekend in Vancouver. It actually paid off. Okay. Seven years later, I wrote my coach and I said, is this sea level? He said, no, it's your training. But <laughs> okay. seven years of low heart rate training. And of course, everybody wants it to be right now. And I I was running and I thought I was walking and he just, I mean, this guy can run, you know, his pace is three to four minutes, right? And he runs with me and he, it's, you know, and his heart rate's like at 80 and mine's at 120 and, you know, and so, but that's how you bring your heart rate down. And it's unbelievable when it starts to work, how effective it is. Okay. So just to conclude the point around napping, is there any, I mean, if you, if you nap, like, uh, you know, not the ideal 20 minutes or less than 30 minutes, is there a downside to, if you end up sleeping for an hour in the afternoon or in the evening, uh, how, where do you see that? So the key thing here to understand, Raj, is this, is that if your brain requires more than a cat nap, 20 minutes, you're sleep deprived. Okay. It is actually, you know, you're sleep deprived. So people will say to me, oh, when I go down for a nap, it's at least three hours. I go, there you go. You needed that three hours. So if you're well rested, if you look after yourself, your naps should be less than 30 minutes. Okay. Because that's all the brain needs. So if you're going down, you get an hour and you feel good, that's great. But sometimes it'll mess up your sleep. For an insomniac, it can mess up their sleep the following night. But if you're just catching up on lost sleep, it'll work and it'll be quite effective. The other thing that we do is we bank sleep in the elite athletes when they're traveling. So we get them overslept a week before travel, let's say, so they can tolerate 
the lack of sleep they get for a big trip, let's say Calgary to Russia for Sochi, big travel. Um, so we would make sure they were very well rested before they got on the plane and started their trip because we knew they would lose at least eight to 15 hours of sleep in the next few days getting to Sochi, let's say. Um, so that, you know, and the recreational athletes can do the same. Completing the point uh, around uh, napping, just lying down and closing your eyes without actually going to sleep also is good enough? Perfect. So we talk about resting and sleeping. And so people say, oh, well, I can't sleep. I say, doesn't matter. Close your eyes, relax, eye shades, music, whatever. Chill out, bring your tone down. So this is where when you talk about the wearables, so and I have nothing to do with Polar, but I use their um, their meditation app. Okay. Three times a day in the office. Okay. Eight minutes. And so, because I'm just constantly trying to bring my tone down and just chill so I can get back at it because it's very busy. And I, at the end of the day, I don't want to be exhausted. I want to be able to come home and do my training and not feel like I want to go sit on the couch and just watch TV. So it's taken me years to get there. Like I say, seven years. And I train every friggin' day. I haven't, I don't take time off, you know, um, but it's taken a long time for it to pay off. Okay. All right. So let's then, I mean, that's a good segue to get into wearables. I mean, these days, you know, wearables are advertising that they track your sleep, your light sleep, deep sleep, you know, in between sleep, whether when you are awake. Are these devices useful for everyday people? Do Should people really be paying attention to it? Because, you know, I know a few friends, not too many, thankfully, who who are obsessed with it actually and you know talk about it all the time um, and yeah. uh, is, so what's your experience do you want me to give you the full story uh, yes please because yeah. this is okay. you know this is something a lot of so, people are using right using, yeah so full story is this all of the wearables are based on a specific technology that measures movement not sleep oh okay so, do, okay, so did you know that or no? Because I think most people don't know that. No, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, so if you didn't know it, then most of your listeners don't know that. So this is called um, an accelerometer, and it's a three-dimensional um, accelerometer. It's an engineering device that measures movement um, in three planes. And so this method of, of monitoring sleep comes out of using this technology in monitor, monitoring activity levels, not sleep. Okay. And so it was, geez, maybe back in the 70s, it was, you know, researchers started using it to look at, you know, um, whether they could see measure sleep. And it was actually used in rat research, and it did correlate to sleep. So then they moved it on to humans. And so the tech, there are research-grade devices. They're called actigraphs. Um, and so then, of course, the market got a hold of this. And that would have been back in the 90s, really. There was a company called Fatigue Science that developed one. And then Fit, you know, Fitbit came along and everybody's come along. Polar has theirs. Garmin has theirs. They're all based on the same engineering technology, which is an accelerometer. And so then 
some of the watches which do heart rate variability have integrated heart rate variability into the movement to try and get a better measure or metric of sleep. And then there's other newer devices, these um, rings, the aura ring and whatnot. So the fact is all of the technologies are different. None of them measure sleep. Okay. They, may they measure a prox. I mean, they measure a, a so-called, yeah, okay. Yes, a so it's a proxy. surrogate marker for a resting state, but not sleep. Okay. So we, you know, we measure sleep in the sleep lab. We're looking at your brain. These devices don't do that. So when they report um, stages of sleep, dream sleep, slow wave sleep, you know, people need to understand that's not really an accurate measure of those sleep stages. They're correlated and the accuracy of the correlation is very limited. So it's just last month, a paper came out for the first time in all of this tremendous research going on to validate these things that one device is now one commercial device is now considered comparable to a research device, which means it's just comparable to a device that measures activity, oh, okay. not sleep. Oh, okay. But it's all been sold this way and marketers know what they're doing. So what I say to people is this, that if you're using the device and it's helping you, great. If you're using the device and it's, driving you crazy, stop it. Okay. <laughs> and so your friends who are obsessed, if they're obsessed and sleeping well and it doesn't matter, whatever, who cares, you know, um, because they're just having fun with it. But we, I had a mom come in. Her son is a 15-year-old competitive uh, sport climber, obsessed with his sleep on the watch. And I said, take the bloody thing away. Because there's no upside for this kid. The kid's 15. He can sleep. He doesn't need to know what's going on, you know, okay. and because they have they should focus on training and recovery, not on the science of sleep. It's just distracting. Now, the other thing that's really important is that if a person has poor quality sleep or a sleep disturbance, the watches are useless. All the data is useless. So if you have an insomniac as a runner and he's wearing a watch it's, I tell them, get rid of the watch. It's not helping you at all. So they have limited application. Uh, okay, interesting, uh, interesting insights. I really hope, uh, you know, the listeners get a, you know, accurate picture of what's, what's really, uh, really going on. And as you correctly said, it's now pretty much in all, uh, you know, even I would say medium range watch watches, not you don't need to necessarily buy a high end Garmin to get this, this within quotes, this analysis, right? I mean, from so most of the mid range watches as well today, you know, incorporate uh, this and advertise this. So, okay, moving on, uh, there are these uh, types of people, right? Like, for example, how, whatever I do, I'm a morning person, you know, right. even if yes. I sleep at even if I sleep at midnight for whatever reason, you're up. By third five to five thirty six, you know, I am awake. I mean, there yeah. is there is no beating around that. Some people are, you know, generally, you know, what do you call a little later in the morning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, what are your observations around these? I mean, is there for somebody who is training? In your view, is there an ideal? personality or a, a profile of people like you know you should be a morning person or is it's better to be a morning person etc no. 
Not at all. So this is a really good topic to bring up, especially to recreational um, athletes and runners. So Raj, that's a really good topic. So number one is you're absolutely bang on. We break down human beings um, in a spectrum and there are larks. So early type people like yourself, there are neutral sleepers, which is the bulk of sleepers are neutral. So they would be the sort of 11 to seven ish people. And you might be sort of the nine to fiver kind of person um, uh, the larks are. Whereas the night owls are a smaller proportion, but have the biggest impact. So they have the biggest negative impact to training. So if you take a night owl whose real brain clock falls asleep between one or two in the morning and really shouldn't be up before nine to ten to get their eight in. And if they have to be in the pool at six in the morning... That is not good. And that was actually how I started back in the early 2000s is the swimmers. And they're, first of all, they're in their teens. So in order for a swimmer to be a podium swimmer, the bulk, they're starting in their early teens to make a podium in their early 20s. It's a 10-year span. So the the point is the most critical time in their life when they need the most sleep in adolescence, they're getting the least So we would see really, really talented swimmers who couldn't make it through their career because they they literally burnt out and were overtrained because they were under recovered. And and they were just they had to get up at five every morning. And so um, so we've learned a lot. A lot of teams, the Australians have stopped morning training. And now that they've learned more and more about um, the role of sleep and, you know, they had the best swimmers in the world. And so. We've learned a lot about this and you're, there's no question that it's not one is better than the other. It's that you need to be aware of it so that we can adjust the training around. So in a night owl, we definitely talk about training later in the day. Whereas someone like yourself, it would be totally appropriate to train in the morning. Um, and then the neutral sleeper, you have a little more flexibility. Um, but that's that's a very good question. Okay, so to summarize this, what you're saying is that it's, Nothing wrong with being a neutral sleeper or a lark or a night owl, but the critical thing is to just ensure you get the adequate uh, amount of sleep and then you schedule your training accordingly and not the other way around. That is compromise your sleep just to get your training uh, training in. Okay, no, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. That's a great point. Uh, the... Uh, you know, mo- you know, your work, like the athlete sleep screening questionnaire, your website, uh, all of that, I will link in the show notes. So this is a you know last two couple of questions I ask all my guests. So other than your own work, and if there are any anything else you would like to highlight, please do. Are there also any other materials that you can recommend to listeners? It could be website, blogs, YouTube channels, other podcasts which they can get a bit more uh, information uh, if they are curious about it. Yeah, I think from a training perspective, the, the, the podcast that I recommend is Jeff Cruschel, K-R-U-S-H-E-L-L with ESPN. Okay. And he interviews me a lot, but he's a really good trainer. And he looks at all aspects in recreational okay. sport. Um, so that to me is a reliable source of information because there's a lot of very very sensational stuff around sport and training. Um, 
I, I, I don't do a lot of this stuff online. So I just say to people, go to our website, find the resources that are there. From a sleep perspective, if people are struggling, the most common thing that people struggle with is insomnia. There are very good books. And the one we recommend is called Sink Into Sleep by Dr. Judith Davidson. There are many, but Judith has a really, really good book that helps people with insomnia manage it themselves. Um, so I don't have a lot of other resources. I, I always turn people to the Canadian Sleep Society website, lots of resources there, and then the National Sleep Foundation in the United States. Um, from a sleep perspective in sport, the recent publication of the British uh, Journal of Sport Medicine has the absolute current state of the science um, discussion on sleep in athletics. Um, and I can send you the link to that, if, or unless I did already, I don't know. No, uh, we, I don't have. I'll coordinate with Kaylee and get that. Yeah, uh, she has it. Included. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Then, I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good resource for people to read and really get the full scoop. Okay, excellent. And uh, for listeners to follow you and your work, uh, what are the best ways to do that? Uh, you know, whatever social media handles yeah. you are comfortable sharing. Center for Sleep on Instagram and Facebook, if they just search Center for Sleep and Human Performance in Calgary. Um, and then our website is uh, www.centerforsleep.com and center is R-E. Okay, got it. Okay, I'll include all of these in the show notes. So thank sure. you so much, Dr. Samuels. Really, My really pleasure. appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you know, wonderful discussion. I personally gathered a lot of insight. In fact, obviously, I'll go back and listen to it and check out some of the materials you have recommended uh, recommended as well, because this is an issue which affects a lot of people. Yeah. And, and the sad part is a lot of people either realize it but don't acknowledge and act upon it right or you know many of them don't even acknowledge it right yeah and so so i i really hope this is a you know very interesting discussion yeah and i think if they just go and fill out the questionnaire which takes 10 minutes they actually learn from it yeah absolutely okay yeah. thank you thank you so much uh, my pleasure so, thank you very much to all the listeners Please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com that is r u n f i t r a j.com it has all the podcasts it has all the show notes and there is a very useful search function as well you can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with raj on both instagram and facebook and you can also email me on running and fitness with raj at gmail.com please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show goodbye.